Welcome to the latest podcast of Center of Reason Nation. This is Season 5, Episode 1. This is your host, Pat LaRusso. I'll soon be joined by my two co-hosts, Anthony Sino and Lucas Ugenti, where we'll look at what will be a busy off-season for GM Kyle Dubas and his management group, uh, which players might be coming in, which players might be going out, and so much more. Welcome to welcome to the first podcast of season five of the Center of Reese Nation podcast. This is your host, Pat LaRusso. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Anthony Sino and Lucas Ugenti. Welcome, boys. Welcome back for our new season. Another season in the books. You know, honestly, like, playoffs are done and over with. It is what it is. On to the offseason. Bigger things to talk about. Looking forward to what's going to happen this offseason and what moves are going to be made, who's going to be kept, protected, traded, sold, bought out, whole lot of things to go on and probably about, what, two, two and a half months because the season's right around the corner, no? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Anthony, how about yourself? Yeah, just uh, just ready to get to the off season now that the Cup's been handed out. Congrats to Tampa. Hell of a team. De- fully deserved. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just – Look, no, no, uh, no team in the NHL wins an offseason like the Leafs. Everyone loves to talk about what they're going to do. They get the most cachet. They get the most uh, attention in an offseason. So um, we're happy to give it to them now because I'm very intrigued on how they're going to move forward here. And, uh, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, and almost that thing, you know, there's so much happening in the next two weeks anyways, you know, you know, we have the expansion draft and the entry draft and then free agency. Um, but I do want to touch on um, a couple, you know, one's a re-signing and one's the signing of a, of a brand new uh, assistant coach. So let's, you know, quickly discuss and I want to get your thoughts on the Travis Thurmond contract. I thought it was very reasonable. I think it makes it attractive for a contract to be picked up in the expansion draft. And, and even he said in his post um, you know, contract interviews that, um, you know, he was given no assurances that he would be a Maple Leaf um, next season. So I kind of want to get your, your thoughts on that contract and, and maybe where you see Dermot next season. Yeah, if you want to take this one first. Yeah, sure. I'll go ahead. Um, Pat, look, I, I, I think uh, Dermot's, Dermot's uh, availability said it all for me. It's that it's, it's a combination of, I believe Toronto needs to meet, needed to sign another defenseman to meet some expansion draft uh, exposure requirements. Uh, I got it up in front of me. So I think, yeah, he, either they had to re-sign Bogosian or Dermot prior to expand the actual uh, protection list being uh, submitted so they can uh, meet their requirements. So, this was kind of expected. Um, and I think that you're right, Pat. It's, in my opinion, too big of a raise for a guy that uh, really has played just sheltered minutes up until this point in his career. He's got 200 NHL games played. I don't see him being 
uh, a driver of a second pair in the NHL where I think people thought that that could have been his ceiling um, as he was coming through the, the ranks in the Marlies and, uh, and as he made his way into the NHL under Babcock on that third pair. Um, he's had, he showed it in spurts, but I don't really see him as, as a second pair guy. So I'm a little concerned if they really do expect, if they are going to end up keeping him. I don't think 1.5 million is, is going to be worth spending on a guy that's was in the playoffs, your seventh defenseman. Maybe he becomes your bottom pair defenseman. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're likely expecting him to either be taken or get traded, right? And I think he expects that too. Um, so I don't see this as a detrimental deal in any means, but at the end of the day, we won't know how it ends up until, I believe you said we were talking offline Sunday, right? When they got to submit their their exposure list. So it's still to be determined in my eyes, but look, he's a local guy. So uh, he clearly wants to be here, but it's a matter of does he fit in the plans of Sheldon Keefe on an every night basis? Yeah, I see where Anthony's coming from. And I, I tend to agree. Um, I think that the way I'm looking at it is you hope that a player progresses and is always on a steady incline throughout his career. Um, I don't think he was necessarily bad last year. I just don't think he was what Toronto wanted him to be. Toronto fans wanted him to be. Um, I don't think 1.5 really hurts the team. I don't think it helps the team. It's kind of like a, it's a weird number where it's like, okay, there's probably better defensemen at one and a half million, but like, are there? Cause once you actually go and look at it, you almost have to get lucky to find a defenseman who's, who's talented enough and willing to take a salary of less than 1.5 million. He's young. As Anthony said, the expansion draft is obviously plays a key role in this. Um, they had to sign somebody. I don't think Bogosian's as attractive as Dermot would be to Seattle. Um, so when you look at it and you really look at the, the, the players, the Leafs aren't going to protect that are somewhat valuable. I mean, it's Dermot, Kerfoot, and maybe Engvall, maybe. Really, if the Leafs want to sit there and say, all right, take Engvall or take Dermot, I would hope that Seattle takes Dermot just because he's a defenseman. Like I said, he was younger. And then it's a $1.5 million cap hit to Seattle, right? To me, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, if they keep them and Seattle goes and takes Kerfoot, all right, well, that still opens up money. That means Toronto has the money to sign Dermot at 1.5 mil. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I definitely don't love it. I'm not sitting here saying, perfect, this is what we needed. I'm happy they did it. But without knowing the, the blueprint that Dubis has, because obviously none of us have that. I wish we did. If we did, we wouldn't be talking right now, but without knowing the du the blueprint that Dubis has, I'm going to say I'm okay with it. It is what it is. 1.5 mil. We'll see what happens come the expansion draft. Yeah. Like for me, the way I saw it is it's a chip. You know what I mean? Like clearly the team and the player have acknowledged the fact that they might need to part. Um, so it, it makes it attractive to a team that may want to just hit the cap floor. Maybe it's something that the, maybe the Leafs can pick up a, an additional second or third round pick in this draft. Um, I just saw it as a, like, it, 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 it didn't move the needle for me. And, and I know people's instant reaction was, oh my God, you know, that's money that could have been used elsewhere. Like, not really, because we don't know how the cards will play out. Um, I have my idea for, you know, who I think the Leafs should go after in free agency. 
um, and we'll discuss that a little bit later. Um, but I don't think that contract really impacts this, those signings. And I think it's a tradable contract to a team that is looking for, you know, a, a bottom pair defenseman that can give you some decent minutes. Um, and you know what? When he wants, he can play with a mean streak. Um, he isn't afraid to, you know, throw his body around. And, and maybe that's where he just caps off. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? In the grand scheme of things um, is kind of how I thought I, I saw it. Um, and then the Leafs announced today the signing of a brand new assistant coach, Dean Shinoth. Um, you know, I just want to get your thoughts on that. I know, you know, he kind of flew under the radar when names like Tockett and Boudreaux were constantly being, you know, bantied about in, 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 in Toronto through the media and through fan circles. Um, but the more I started to dig around uh, Dean and his work with the Carolina Hurricanes, I see a guy that's worked with, you know, Pesci and, and Slavin and so many of their defensemen. And they were, what, in the top six or top ten for goals against and team defense this past year? Yep. How penalty, can you go wrong in hiring that too. guy? Good penalty yeah. kill, too. That's what I've come across is that you, uh, a lot of scouts, uh, or I'll call them Twitter scouts, everyone that's kind of analyzing uh, strategic play really were fans of the Carolina Hurricanes penalty kill. And, and Dean seems to be the guy that is responsible for it. So, uh, yeah, Pat, like you said, very under the radar, but uh, they ever, from what I'm reading and and based off his resume, seems like a very um, important hire. Um, the least penalty kill still can improve and needs to improve. Um, I again, to me, it, it's another again like the Dermot move, like Lucas said. It didn't need to be 1.5 million, but 1.5 million is going to kill you. Um, for he, for me, I'm thinking here that, Hey, like, this is great. Um, and I, and you know what, it's probably just me being so still so bitter about the way last season ended is that just nothing's doing it for me right now. You know what I mean? Like whatever move they're doing, I'm just like, yeah, like let's move on, carry on. You know what I mean? Type thing. Like, uh, it's, it's good to evaluate in the, in the, in uh, in real time, like, but on, again, we've been talking about this team on paper and how they'll shake out for so long now, and they just got to go show it. But again, if you want to talk about process over results, Dean seems like a great hire, um, and I I think that he can improve the the penalty kill. And he, I'm seeing not to get too ahead of ourselves, but I'm seeing that. He has a really good relationship with Dougie Hamilton and, you know, exactly. Leafs Twitter is eating that up right away. So everyone's all over that. Um, but if it does come down to it and Morgan Riley doesn't get extended, we know that he's likely getting traded. And if that opens the door for Dougie Hamilton and Dean can, can get in Dougie's ear and, and pop in and, and tell him what he's all about and Dougie will feel comfortable uh, signing with the Leafs, like, Seems like an advantage to me that way. Um, uh, I would have liked to maybe see another change with Manny Malhotra because I do think that the Leafs power play needs a little bit of an overhaul. And then I know we can talk about, uh, we haven't been on a podcast since how for personal, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with that stuff on the personnel on the power play and where they want to play and all that stuff. But um, 
I would have liked to see two new assistant coaches, um, but who knows, maybe that still can be a possibility. Um, but in the moment, I'm, I'm happy that uh, Dean is, is going to be running our penalty kill for next season. Yeah, I see where Anthony's coming from with the whole not moving the needle type vibe. Like, yeah. you see this stuff and you're just kind of like, all right, sick, cool, <laughs> next. Because it's, it's – and I don't know. I, I don't want to speak for Anthony, obviously. For myself, it's, it's not necessarily the hiring or, you know, the signings or what they're doing, but it's, it's like we've seen this movie before. I've actually seen this movie about three or four times now. And, well, to be fair, we've seen this movie for <laughs> our entire life, but specifically over the last three or four years, it's just a sequel that we just continue to watch. And at some point, you just don't really – care anymore and I don't know if that's the right wording because obviously we're fans we're passionate I mean we're doing a podcast about the Maple Leafs so obviously we care but unless it's a big move a major move the little pieces of the puzzle that are starting to get filled in like they just they just don't they don't excite me and again I don't speak for anyone else or any other Leaf fan but they don't excite me the way that they probably could should or have in the past Um, and that's just because of expectations and that, that comes down to you know consistent disappointment and as Anthony said, this guy obviously has a good relationship with Dougie Hamilton. He, he did wonders with Carolina. Uh, we can look at their decor. We can name all their defensemen on that, on that decor. And every single one of them would be top two defensemen on the Leafs. It, it, he's done what he needs to do. And if he can bring it to Toronto, which for some reason, it just seems like certain coaches can't do. Like Manny Maholger was supposed to be the revelation in the faceoff circle and power play. And I, we scored a couple more power play goals in the Montreal series. We're not talking the way we're talking now. So it, it, listen, if this Dean, if Dean can come in here and I don't want to say fix the D because I don't think the D was necessarily a problem last year. I think that was actually the least of their worries, but if he can come in here and improve because you're always looking for improvement and that penalty kill tightens up a little bit more defensively, the Leafs are a little bit tighter. Whoever the backup goalie and or starter is on the Leafs next year ends up facing less shots a game. It's all a win and it's all, all pieces to the puzzle and it all inevitably gets you to your end goal and if Dubas thinks this is the guy and Keith likes this guy then I'm all in who am I to say anything uh anything bad about him I don't know much I don't think many people do so I'm all for giving him a shot Luke remember that they probably weren't planning on signing uh another uh, a new defensive coach yeah that's right Hackstall was probably he yeah he was poached by Seattle right like they they probably didn't expect to lose Hackstall, and we'll ne- obviously we'll never know if they would have made this change barring if Hackstall yeah, doesn't go fair. to Seattle, right? So, ever it seemed to me that like the focus was so much on Malhotra, and how like how I don't want to say stale the power play because it, it to me it was just like I don't even think it was the coaching, for example. Whereas I thought in the past when the power play slumped, I really thought it was an emphasis on coaching. I'm like, clearly it's not, it's the fact that like we could point to one thing on the power play and be like, okay, why is Matthews not getting more power play time? Like it's a clear storyline that everyone with two eyes can see is like, why is our best shooter not playing at least a minute 30 on every two minute power play? Whereas now it's like, okay, the best shooter in the world other than Ovechkin is getting the time on ice. Supposedly one of the greatest assist guys in the league is on the other side, right? 
and we're thinking like, all right, why isn't this working? Um, and clearly it's either Malhotra's was afraid to make adjustments to avoid hurting feelings, or he was stubborn in his own ways. And I know that Keith said that he was going to get more involved in the power play as they continued to struggle. So I'm me personally, I'm not speaking for anyone else. I'm still left with questions there. Like, who are we, who are we talking about? Who is answering for the failures of the power play? Is it Keith? Is it Malhotra? Is it uh, Mitch Marner? Like, again, we're going to don't talk about, I don't know the truth of him. He's, he patently denied that he was against moving from the, the half wall on the power play, but let's just assume that that's true. Is it a player thing? Like are players too stubborn to adjust from new roles or players too stubborn to leave the unit to like, you know what I mean? Is it coaching? Is it the players? We don't know. And them doing nothing still does not tell us anything in my opinion. So I think we're still waiting for answers here. It, with this move with Dean, I think it's more of like, okay, a necessity, like we need someone to run the, the D and the, and the penalty kill. Um, and as much as Tockett and Boudreaux were linked to the Leafs, I don't recall any of those guys being penalty kill or defense coach guys. Those guys are um, forward guru type guys, power play guys. Like Tockett was a, the power play guy in Pittsburgh before he moved to Arizona. So um, this to me seems like a move that was like a necessity more than hey, we're going to go and try and get our guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. I, for me, the, my struggles with the coaching staff and kind of how I feel about this signing is um, I just want to get through the next regular season because isn't that how we all felt about this regular season? Was like we were going to judge this team based on the playoffs. And that's kind of where I'm at with this upcoming season is, um, you know, if this guy can chop down a couple of goals off the, you know, you know, from going in, or if you can come up with a defensive system that improves the PK, great. Um, but at the end of the day, the Leafs didn't lose because of their defense. Like, I just, I always get back to this point that, you know, your best players need to be your best players. And in that opening round, when John Tavares got injured, you know, that was the perfect opportunity for Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews um, to kind of solidify themselves in this marketplace, in Toronto Maple Leafs lore and kind of guide us past the Montreal Canadiens onto what should have been a longer playoff run. And we just didn't see it. Um, and how many times have, you know, the three of us debated in the past, you know, Mitch Marner's necessity or lack thereof of shooting. Like there's no urgency from him to shoot. So everyone stops the pass. So when I look at a power play that's struggling, it, it, it for me, it boils down to personnel and their willingness to change or their willingness to adapt, or their, you know, we always talk about how Mitch Marner has the eye for the play and, and he, you know, he's a great visionary and he is, but I want to see him use that vision to shoot more, to open up those passing lanes that may not come naturally. Because I think if he's willing to get the puck off his stick and shoot, then it, it automatically opens up those shooting lanes and those passing lanes for some of the others on the power play. And that's why I thought, Nylander on that first unit would have been the perfect player in that play in the playoffs in Montreal because he was going, he was shooting, and he just would have offered a, a different look, which I think would have given Montreal a little bit more difficulty to kind of handle and control. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I mean, it, 
really, if we want to dissect the power play, we can. I have a million and one thoughts about it. I don't know if we want to rehash that and well, relive our PTSD. I, I'm fine with talking about it because I, I actually have a recent like story about this type of conversation about the power play and, and the structure of it. And, and it, and it, the only reason why this, this conversation on Twitter came up with, uh, with, uh, I think it's a guy who works at Sportsnet. I forget his name, but um, he, it was the, like P Tampa was just zipping it around in the cup final. I forget what game I think it was a week ago. So maybe it was game four and they're just, you're watching Kucherov and point points on the bumper Kucherov and Hedman and Stan Kos up on the top of the umbrella. And the pass goes across to Kucherov and everyone, it's like such a clear one timing opportunity and Kucherov just sneaks it right through the point bumper and he hit the post. Right. And I, this, I think this was the game that Montreal ended up winning. Um, and you, and so this guy wrote, like, look at that pass by Kucherov. Why hasn't Mitch Marner ever made that pass to John Tavares, right? And and I and to me, I just thought, and I and I thought about it, and I was like, you know why? Because no one is thinking that he like that pass cross seam to Marner for a one timer is never getting to him because Matthews is the target guy. Matthews would never look a cross ice for Marner for a one-timer. I've never seen him do it. And you know what, frankly, he shouldn't do it because Mitch isn't hitting that one-timer. So I said, like, if you really want to mirror the Tampa power play, you need Nylander on that offside wall to be the Kucherov role. You can have Tavares still in the bumper spot playing the point role. And you got Matthews as in the Stamkos on his offside. And it's just a mirror image of the Tampa power play, right? And I'm thinking the only, the only way that that can happen is you have Nylander playing the Kucherov role. And what does that mean? What does that, where does that leave Mitch Marner? That leaves Mitch Marner either in the bumper. If you want him to do that, he can do that, sure. If he's willing to try it, fine by me. Or it leaves him off the unit because I don't want Mitch in front of the net. So if, if they're not watching that Tampa power play and saying, okay, do we have the personnel to like, if we see something that works, what's the first question? Do we have the personnel to, to uh, make something of this and kind of follow this type of tactic? Okay. We have the personnel. Great. Now, where do we put, where do we slot guys? All right. That's the third step. Now you got to go to the players and say, this is what we want to do. And if you're talk, if you present that to the players and they're like, eh, I'm not that comfortable there. That's fine. Go look for someone who is because clearly if it's harder to come up with this brand new strategy that is, that works around the players that you already have. Whereas it might be just easier to look at something that works and just find players that fit that, that, slot you know that I mean? yeah that slot or that mold yeah because no, exactly I fully if, agree. If, if you're just trying to find a power play that works for mitch marner and austin matthews um it's been two years now of the power play struggling not just in the playoffs but in the regular season and it seems like every team in the nhl has figured it out not just the really good penalty killing teams like ottawa's figured it out so like 
that that to me is very concerning and uh and it's something that needs to be rectified and and we're going to find out really early in this uh in training camp if if the Leafs are willing to make adjustments on that front yeah you, you pretty much said everything I wanted to say I just think I would go I'd go even a little bit further and it might be a hot take but I just don't even think the Leafs have the personnel for it and you might yeah. be thinking you might be thinking okay hey, that's crazy you know they got Matthews Marner Tavares Nylander but but listen, if we're gonna if we're gonna call a spade a spade, it's called spade a spade. Nobody's hitting a one timer the way Tavares is hitting that one timer. Nobody's. You mean Kucherov? No, no. I mean, I mean, Stamp. Sorry, I meant Stamkos. Oh, uh, Stamkos. Stamkos well, is hitting that can. one timer. Yeah, but, I think but hear me can. out. But hear me out. Matthews can hit it on the right side, dope glove side for most goalies, whatever. Or sorry, blocker side for most goalies, whatever. But the key is that puck goes back to Hedman. Hedman also can pick a corner from the point. Yeah, Morgan yeah, Riley has never shot. done that. Well, there. That's that's. Guy uh, number that's, two. That's guy number two that I was. Then it gets that you're talking about. Then you're it gets right. even better. Then it gets even better because let's just say let's just say Tavares is in that that middle spot, right? The middle slot yeah. spot. Okay. Sure, Tavares has the ability to pick a corner when he gets the puck in the perfect opportunity. Yada yada yada. But the things that Braden Point does in the middle of the ice there, unmatched, absolutely unmatched. The way he facilitates, the way he looks off passes, the way he he gets an inch and actually can pick that corner on in a second's notice. I haven't seen Tavares do that. I've seen him hit the one-timer when it comes from down low. I've seen him hit a couple, a couple redirects here and there. But the things Point does in the middle, I, I think, are, are uncanny. It, it's, almost, it's almost insane to see what they're so able you, to do in that so little you umbrella know what, area. You know what you can do then, Luke, is, is you go if, – if you want to really mirror it, right? And let's just say – we're obviously, we're just spitballing here. But let's just say they go – Take pretend Morgan Riley is off it. Let's just say in this hypothetical world, Dougie Hamilton, who's got a way better shot than Morgan Riley, a cannon actually, and he's running the point. Let's say so. Yep. You got Hamilton, Nylander yep. on the left side because he's right-handed. Yep. Matthews on the right side. Yeah. Mitch Marner in the middle. Yeah. Right. So, I hate. Look, it's what day is it? It's July twelfth. We're picking on the guy. It's and it's July twelfth. We don't know, but. If I'm the coach then, like based off what you're saying, I would say, hey, Mitch, like Austin's got a really good shot. We think we can utilize a team's bias to taking away Austin's shot and having them look look that shot off sometimes and find you in the bumper spot. Are you willing to go to the bumper spot? And Mitch is going to say, okay, tell me about the bumper spot. Well, based off the stuff that I see Braden Point go through, he's getting cross-checked every 10 seconds. Yep. He's getting beaten the shit out of in the middle of the ice. He scored multiple goals while getting knocked on his ass, actually. Are you willing to do that, Mitch? Yes or no? What's the answer? We don't know. If he's not willing to do that, all right, sorry, Mitch. We can't. We don't have a spot for you on power play one. It's that simple. It's that simple. And I'm, we are past the point of avoiding to hurt feelings. We're past the point of coddling. We're past the point of what are you comfortable doing? It's look, jobs are on the line now. Yeah, I was gonna I say, think I said it's about yeah, the end of the day. Like, yeah. I, 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 uh, Active Oak, one of my favorite leaf personalities, he's ta- he was talking about something. And I said, look, Kyle Dubas, the, the thing that makes me nervous about Kyle Dubas right now, and, and not just him, like management in general, is like, if they do, or if they're starting to feel the heat of their job on the line next year of like, let's say they meet Tampa in the first round, which would just be hilarious luck, but 
let's just say, and they get bounced again, are they getting fired? Well, if Dubas wants to do that, he might just go down with the ship and say, I got to go down with these four guys. I'm the ones that signed the contracts and I got to go with these four guys. Well, then if you're going to go with those four guys, you have to take away their ability to feel comfortable and you just got to go with what you think is best. Don't be afraid to change and, and just do it because you are losing precious years of this core and, and more importantly, John Tavares. Uh, yeah, because he's not getting any younger. Exactly, right? And that was the guy that, that, that day when they signed him, that was like the catalyst, right? They're like, all right, it's not five years from now. We're going we're gonna to try and win. We're trying to win now. And yeah. they haven't done anything. So it's See, my, past the point of hurting feelings is all I'm trying to say. No, and I like your point, Anthony, about where Kyle Dubas stands. But if there's one thing I know about Leaf Nation and the lease organization is when a GM has felt heat, he's made a stupid trade. So like, and I don't once, think he'll do that. I don't think he will, but a stupid trade can easily be done and not know it. You know what I mean? Cause like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like he could have all the best of intentions and, and maybe there's a trade to be had for maybe William Nylander or for Mitch Marner. But all it takes is for one of them to have a solid year and the lease to be balanced and him to be balanced. And then we look back at that trade and say, did we really need to make it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. no. It's, and emotions it's, take over because emotions people take just over want to see, logic. Yeah. Look, people want to see heads roll. I'll be the yeah. first to raise my hand. And I'm being like, look, uh, and the thought of watching this team for another 82 games and just having them zip it around Matthew 60 goals, Marner 105 points and watch them. If they don't do anything in the playoffs next year, you're just like, you know, it's over. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, you know the whole you, plan. You, you know, that four is breaking up. So how are they going to deal with it then? Because you're, you have to think a year ahead of time in the, in the can, in the sense that if it's game seven, of the first round again, which again would be help peak hilarious, right? If it's game seven of the first round again, how do those young forwards play in that game, knowing that a loss means that it's over, right? Like, do you have the wherewithal? Do you have the strength to just put that out of the back of your mind? And from what they've shown before, where there's been no indication that they're gonna leave this team, they still have failed to do so. They still have shown that they're soft between years. So that's why I'm trying to think ahead of it and put myself in Dubas's shoes and say, like, maybe you just can't roll with it the exact same way. You know what are I mean? We, are we allowed to call them young, though? Like, when, not, not, not young, when not are we young. Not but, them young uh, yeah, you're right. But all I'm trying to say is that it's. Oh, no, I, I agree with your point. I'm just saying. At on one point, hand, Pat, right? I, on one hand, Pat's right in that the easy thing to do would be to act emotionally and trade one of the big four and say, "Look, I did what you guys wanted and wash my hands of it, and now, yeah, I, I, I've used a, I used one of my bullets in the holster." You know what I mean? Say, yeah. like, go to go to Brendan Shanahan and Larry Tannenbaum and say, "Look, I'm trying my best to change anything. I'm I'm doing everything I can, and yeah. they're it's the players' fault. They're not performing." Yeah. The hard part for Dubis would be to go back with this four and 
and tinker and, yeah, and, and sink and swim. You know what I mean? Like exactly. That is hard. Like, and I, I have a respect for that, but who knows? Like, that's the thing. Like, and I think, you know, maybe we look at that core. Maybe we look at this team differently. You know what I mean? Like we're back to having the same conversation where they didn't perform on the power play and they couldn't score. And what was and what was their Achilles heel against Columbus? They couldn't score and their power play was dreadful. Now that kind of takes us to free agency and kind of the two players that I would like to see the Leafs pick up. And it might mean that we say goodbye to Zach Kyman to make this happen. Um, I'm thinking if the media is correct and, you know, it's his agent that leaked that he's looking for a long-term, you know, five to $6 million contract. Well, you know what I'm saying to Zach, you know, thanks for your services. Um, you know, all the best wherever you end up. But like, I would like to see them pick up Goudreau and, and or Coleman from Tampa, because I think that they can offset some of the scoring. Um, maybe that does take some of the pressure off of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. If the Leafs could potentially run not one line, not two lines, but three lines that can actually score. Because the Leafs' third line outside of Kerfoot, Mikheyev wasn't doing much. Pierre Engvall really didn't do much in the playoffs. Um, and maybe we just need more from that third line to really shake up the whole look of this roster. And I want to kind of get your thoughts on the two names I dropped and maybe who you your top two or top three free agent targets would be. Um, you, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to go a little bit off script here. I know you're looking for a forward, but I don't necessarily have one that can replace Hyman. I do agree with you. I think that Goudreau, Goudreau would be necessary. I think anybody of, of that caliber um, kind of falls into the same category. I don't know if they're necessarily going to go out and spend uh, like $5 million on a player to replace Hyman. It kind of depends what, what goes on with Kerfoot. Because um, if that money opens up, it opens up and you have money, so why not? Uh, but if I'm being honest with you, I really, 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 really want to see James Reimer back with the Maple Leafs. And mm, Interesting. And the reason why I say that, I know it, it kind of comes as a shock. He's 30, what, 33 or 34. Um, I just think he plays so good in a tandem. And I think that, especially in the way the NHL is going now, you just don't find a goalie who's playing the entire season anymore. And if James Reimer comes in at, let's just say, let's just say he comes in at two and a half, three, because I don't think he's going to get a raise. Let's be honest here. His contract was high enough for his age. There's probably a 0% chance he gets a raise. So let's just say he comes to Toronto. He takes a decent, a decent price. I'm putting it at two, two and a half. Why not? Like, absolutely, why not? I, I don't think he's done anything wrong. I think he was fantastic in Carolina when he needed to be. I mean, he had a 906 save percentage. What more can you ask for in a tandem? 2.66 goals against. Not the best, not the worst. 22 games played, 15 wins. I mean... Okay, Carolina's defense is a little bit better, but is Carolina as a whole that much better than Toronto? I don't necessarily think so. I think they actually match up pretty fairly. I think James Reimer would be an awesome number two and another maybe a 1A or a 1B, however you want to look at it. I think James Reimer is a guy. I think any other goalie comes in a little bit too high, and it depends what you're thinking. It depends if Dubis is thinking long-term, obviously. I'm not saying sign Reimer for three or four years. I'm saying sign Reimer for a two-year deal. But if they get him at the AAV that they want, I really, really like James Reimer as opposed to any of the other goalie options. Again, and I'm only saying that in terms of uh, length and value. We're, 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 trying to, we're trying to lessen the AAV. So obviously you're not going to get the term. And if they're trying to save money and trying to bolster that defense or bolster that bottom six, because obviously it needed a little bit of help, 
you're not going to go and spend four, four and a half on a goalie when you had Fred, Frederick Anderson for five. So if Reimer comes in at a very good number, I'm talking two, two and a half at the absolute max. I really like James Reimer. Uh, Luke, that's an interesting one. I, I really haven't put much thought into time per se. I'm that you guys brought this, uh, this topic up. I'll, I'll first touch on, I'm going to get to your players first, but I first want to touch on how I kind of set this up because I knew we were going to talk about it. But um, contrary to popular belief, the Leafs do have a lot of flexibility going into this offseason. Oh, and yeah. Pat kind of alluded to it, but I'll give some quick numbers. I just basically what I did is I went on cap friendly and I took out all the players that I thought were locked into rosters or sorry, not locked into their roster slot and just took them off the team, pretend that they were traded and basically like traded for a draft pick expansion draft to Seattle, whatever. Right. Those guys include that were currently on the roster or signed. Those guys include Adam Brooks, Pierre Engvall, Travis Dermott, Ilya Mikhaev, Justin Hall, and Morgan Riley. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm operating under the assumption that those guys are off the team. I'm saying that they can't get an extension done with Riley. So they're likely going to trade him. This frees him up to go after someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. And we can go into the other topics, but I also think that they should expose Justin Hall. I think they should go seven, three, one. You have to protect Kerfoot. Kerfoot's the better asset. I think he has more trade value. He signed longer term. He's versatile up front. Justin Hall is, I believe, on the wrong side of 30 now. And he makes $2 million a year. And he's shown multiple times that if Jake Mazin is hurt, he is a bottom pairing defenseman and not a top four guy. So I don't want him in my top four anymore. Ila Mikhaev, same kind of thing. Offers literal, literally no scoring punch for and his only asset that everyone would bring up is he's a penalty killer and our penalty kill sucked. So what is that indicative of his spot on the roster? So there we go. That's another guy that I'm taking off. Obviously Travis Dermott, I'm expecting him to be gone. And then Pierre Engvall, another guy where I think that they can move him his salary if they wanted to go off. So I'm just going to pretend that they just go on a free agent spending spree, right? I've brought in this Kirill Semyonov guy from the KHL. He makes 825. And I got my fourth line of Spezza, this Russian kid, and Simmons. So that leaves $20.6 million for them to sign three defensemen, a backup goalie, and four forwards. Now, if that's the case, I think Barclay Goudreau and Blake Coleman are guys that they absolutely need to go after. If they can come up with a line of Kerfoot, Goudreau, and Coleman, like – that's sure. kind of Tampa, Tampa's third line light, right? I don't think Kerfoot is Yanni Gord any anytime soon, but I think that's fantastic. It's just about the price point. It's a matter of if you want to get them there. I don't think either of those guys take any discount because unless it's with Tampa, and I don't even think Tampa can keep them because Tampa's no. really in some cap hell. They're in Tampa's in more. The funny thing is Tampa's in more cap hell than the Leafs ever were, and nobody talks about it. Yeah. Uh, in because they got the cups. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, and you know what? Winning they, cures everything. <laughs> yeah, winning cures everything. And, you know, Lucas, you and I were having this exact conversation off air. You know, why is everyone so frustrated with the Leafs? Is they've lost. 
you know, like if they had won one or two rounds or, you know, maybe they bowed out to Vegas where, you know, we yeah. wouldn't be having this, there wouldn't be this much angst in the fan base. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. No, it's run it back. If they, if they made it to yeah. Vegas, it'd be run it back. Yeah. It, it would yeah, be, if you run like, it back, tinker it a little bit, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. say goodbye to Freddie or, but they would probably extend Morgan Riley a hundred percent. And, but then, and, and they would, you know what I mean? Like, it's just that kind of thing. It's but then here's the side argument, right? So like, if someone, if you remove all the anger and frustration of losing to Montreal, someone that's objective would look at the statistics in that series. The Leafs outscored Montreal. We had the better goalie. You know, Jack Campbell essentially went toe-to-toe with Carey Price and had a better goals against. You know, really what, it wasn't, like, the parts where the Leafs would have lost in the past was, it's not the same narrative, which, at times frustrates me when people kind of repeat that, oh, the Leafs need to go get a number one goalie. They need to get, you know, improve. Like, it wasn't the goaltending. It wasn't yeah. defense. It was offense. Um, but once again, like, this is where you fall into okay, those. That's what I'm know, saying. Right? You like, can you can easily lose objectivity. Yeah. But, yeah, you could, cl- it, like, I think we said this right after the series is that, I, I said it at least, is that the shadow of blame for how that Montreal series went falls no further or covers no further than Austin Matt like Austin Matthews is second on the list. Mitch Marner's at the top of the list. Sheldon Keefe's up in the in the top yeah, three. Sheldon Keefe disappointed me. And then Austin Matthews. And you know what? Austin Matthews I would have loved to see more. But at the end of the day, he did have a game and it 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 literally means nothing now. But he did show spurts of recognizing the moment. In game two, what do we think after game one? We thought Taveras was, not to be melodramatic, but it looked like he almost died on the ice. Um, we thought, well, we were like, oh, shit, okay, for, he's for sure gone for months. God, yeah. like, God willing, thank God now he seems to be okay in terms of his recovery. Um, but after game one, we're like, all right, we need someone to step up and just like take over the game. Who did it? Austin Matthews. I think he had a goal, a couple assists that game, won us that game. And we took that momentum to Montreal. Obviously it means part of my language, but fuck all now, but he showed something. Mitch Marner did absolutely nothing, but I'm just, I'll steer. We talked about it enough. I'm I'll steer us back on the UFA front for a second is that, what I think you need is they're clearly not going to move any of those four guys uh, or specifically Marner or Nylander. Um, and at the end of the day, when I'm taking emotions out of it, you probably shouldn't. But what, what you need to do is you need to look at the other end of the roster and say like, okay, who didn't perform? And the guys that I told you that should leave the roster are guys that are making too much money that are going to offer you little to nothing in the playoffs, which is ultimately what matters. So when you talk about the money that they have now, right? Even if you bring Riley in, right? And you, and you go run back that Riley Brody pairing. Uh, I got my eyes on David Savard. Can David Savard be signed for probably a little bit more than what Justin Hall made? But I think David Savard is an actual bonafide top four guy, right? And David Savard can pair up with Muzzin really solidify a shutdown pair for maybe 1.5 million more than what Justin Hall makes. And you have that space now. It's almost like trading 
uh, Dermot and Hall for David Savard. Like you would do that any day of the week. You know what I mean? So yeah. if you could trade those two salaries and fill in that guy on the top four, maybe you bring, you bring Bogosian back for a million, right? So that's four and a half million. You still got $10 million left. And all you got to do is sign a backup goalie and a few forwards. And that's where Dubas needs to get, um, get a little fancy with it. Can he find value in guys like Mikhail Granlin? He was a trade target for me. Um, I know I said the defense was solidified, but obviously it's depending on what you do with Morgan Riley, but can you bring in a guy like Jamie Alexiak? Like he's another guy that I really like. If you could bring in Alexiak and Savard into this, into that top six, like I would really feel good about our defense in terms of a, a playoff style game. Um, again, I think they need to go a little bit more value on goaltending. I'm trying to, Basically, when I do fool around with cap friendly, I got a cap at $2 million. Whatever is the best goal you could find for $2 million, that's the guy. If it's James Reimer, I could care less. If it's Jonathan Bernier, I could care less. If it's – what's the – Jonas Gustafsson, I could care less. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just find a guy to fill that slot. I know they've kind of been linked to Drieger. Maybe they can get him. You know what I mean? And – or and then you got to look at the forwards. I think they should really seriously consider bringing Nick Felino back if he's willing to do. Like I would sign Nick. I know he's old and clearly he's got a back injury, so that scares me. But is it a guy that can be four-year deal at two something million dollars, and you just give him ten million over however many years you want, and then whatever it is, he goes on LTIR and you wash your hands of it, right? Seems like a that seems like the type of thing that teams are willing to do. So I look at Nick Foligno, I look at Granlin. Seems like Taylor Hall's next. Like they got a lot of options at forward. I think yeah. it's just a writer, a matter of finding the right permutation of top nine guys. Clearly, I would like, I know they're, they're still Matthews Tavares Kerfoot. I would like them to find, that's why Granlin's so attractive to me. I want a guy that can be a winger and a center and just have a guy that if one of those four top two centers go down again, you're not focused on a Nylander moving to the center or something like that type thing. So lots of options, but I do like Goldman and Goudreau, uh, Pat, like you said, I think they're really good. It's just a matter of if they're willing to come. See, So here's the thing. I was actually thinking outside of the box and I kind of mentioned this on Twitter just in, I don't even remember which thread I started because I seem to be doing that quite a bit lately, but like, how can the Leafs work with Seattle to help facilitate a trade? Like, could the Leafs use up some futures or a prospect and have Seattle eat up some salary? You know, like, I know they, they, they have the former coach was just the assistant. I'd yeah, say like he Seattle, knows. Like, take Engvall, Mikhaev, Dermot, and Hall. Here you go, Dave Hackstall. Like that would be Christmas morning even, for me. But the thing is, for me, I think that you can find a replacement for Kerfoot on the third line. Like, you yeah, know, and, and use and use that money to kind of to really solidify that third. You know what I mean? Like, you're Buffalo, upsetting Lucas it, here, Pat. <laughs> no, no, but Lucas. Buffalo, Buffalo's, but Buffalo offers an interesting perspective on the goalie front. Like if you can free up an extra, say one to one and a half million, 
can you pick up an Allmark from Buffalo for He's a UFA. He's a UFA. Or, you, know, you can free. pick up, like, you know what I mean? But they can, yeah, no, can take, right? And like, and really put and have two essentially 1A and 1AB. And kind of, because I think Jack, Jack Campbell's going to need someone to push him next year. Yep. And yep. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be an 81 game season. Maybe you find a way where it's almost 41 and 41 type of split. And, you know, you look at Allmark's underlining numbers on a really bad Buffalo team. He's serviceable if you're looking for that tandem. Allmark's and I great. Don't think- Allmark is very good. He's I just young. think he's going mean? to come in at too he's much. He's, he's 27. I just think he's going to come in at too much. There's no way he's going to ask for anything less than what Freddie was getting paid for. No, 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 no. No, I, I think, think that's so too much. So he's coming in four million too, years too much. Too sick. But look, I think, oh, yeah. look, at the end of the day, it's a year that they, they're not expecting the cap to go up for another two years. Like, the teams have some negotiating power here, especially yeah. if the goalie market's a little fruitful. So maybe it's not four million. Look at the if Luke, if the guy's asking for four, you say thank you. Go find that. Yeah, yeah, else. No, we'll, 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 we're happy to do business elsewhere, but like he's okay. a guy that you target. So and Allmark, Allmark at three point two five. No, not yeah. Or, like that's Reimer at two. Uh, you take Reimer at two. You take Drieger at whatever you can get him at. You take who else they got on UFA uh, UFA goalies? Um, those are some of the better ones I can think of that are going to be yeah, reasonably priced. Like I'm Drie- thinking reasonably Drieger. priced, right? Yeah, yeah. I got Drieger, Hallmark, Mrazic. Um, uh, I think Mrazic's coming to too much. Like I think I think Mrazic would get paid more than Olmark. I don't know if I'm the only one thinking that. Uh, I think so too. I think you're looking at guys like. Uh, I, I still laugh at the fact that they thought Freddie Anderson was coming back, but uh, you still got you got Allmark, you got uh, David Riddick again, but we're not going down that road. No, um, Mraz, it's the Carolina goalies, Grubauer, which he's probably staying in Colorado, but yeah, you never know, right? Colorado's got some Colorado, well, they got yeah, their own he, Colorado's, Colorado's got, their got own money to spend soon, right? McKinnon better ask for double digits well, he, if like it would just be a giant slap in the face if he doesn't get double digits and you have uh, to think that you got to send like, him a Colorado call, might be looking to land dog like does Colorado decide that they maybe want to move away from Kadri maybe can you get them to eat some of that salary do you try yeah. I saw a tweet him, today bring him back I, I saw a tweet today Nazem Kadri future captain of the Seattle Kraken that was I saw that, that that's pretty funny chuckle. not yeah, gonna lie a chuckle. you know what I mean like yeah I think with the flat cap, it, it actually plays into the Leafs' hands because mm-hmm. I don't think teams are like every team's salary cap handcuffed at this point. Like, did you like if you're looking oh, at wow. the Edmonton Oilers, you know what I mean? Like, you're looking they at the Edmonton Oilers, they made that stupid trade today for, for Duncan Keith. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of money that they just gave that up. That was a joke. You know, they, they, there's no salary tension. They picked up yeah, a player they, that's on the like, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy what we're watching. Yeah, team, team, it is valuable to take on money. It really is. Like the, the, contract, the contract of a player has never been more important to owners around the league. And, yeah. like, hopefully the Leafs can take advantage of that, of, of teams knowing that this is – the way that they want to go, right? Like if if a team is 
really looking to move someone that their contract just can't be paid by that owner. Leafs got to Dubis needs to be on every in on every possible guy and and really find some value here because if you're not moving that core four, it would be a shame that they still have all this kind of flexibility in the roster to not truly build the one that they want. You know what I mean? Like there should really be no excuse and say, yeah, we tried to get that guy, but he, he was maybe he, okay. I guess he could price himself out, but how much can he price himself out? If it, if, if the guy's a $5 million, if he's a middle six winger and he's asking for $6 million, then you're like, okay, that's just ridiculous. But you need to find those complementary players that have experience of performing in the playoffs to, to really fill out your roster, especially on the left side, right? I don't yeah. think Robertson or Amirov is stepping into the lineup for game, game one, right? So yeah. uh, I think they're really going to need to look for some veterans on that front. And look, they have cap space to do it. They have the flexibility to do it. So it's, I'm really intrigued to see what goes on here. So I guess, you know, when it comes to saying goodbye, you know, we've brought up Zach Hyman's name. You know, Anthony, I know in passing you just mentioned Freddie Anderson and, and how some people thought that he was coming back. We're going to be saying goodbye, and it's going to be a fairly a bitter, sweet goodbye to some players that, you know, kind of started the journey with us. You know what I mean? Like the Zach Hyman's, like the Freddie Anderson's. Um, I kind of want to get your thoughts on, you know, if these two players – don't return what is their impact and and kind of how do you think this marketplace will look at the, the two you know over their course of their toronto maple leaf career if you want to take this one yeah uh, you can go first if you want i'll, I'll go i no no okay. I, want you, want. I want to hear your take first. okay yeah so with anderson it's it's pretty simply like uh what do we t- with anderson i think of that meme with the uh from the Ninja Turtles, right? You have the master kind of towering over the baby Ninja Turtles and guiding them and into the light. And then afterwards you have the Ninja Turtles all grown up and they're, they're walking the old master to wherever they're going right on their journey. And to me, that applies to Anderson fully is that this team does not make the playoffs in 16, 17 and 17, 18 without Frederick Anderson. Um, I think that the people that scrutinized Freddie up until the middle of last year, 1920 season, sorry. um, I think that they're incredibly cruel because in Freddie's time here, no one has faced more shots. No one has faced more high danger shots. No one has carried his team more as a goalie than Frederick Anderson did with those young Leafs teams and young and inexperienced teams. And he did that. He played 60 games, multiple years in a row. And he just lacked the stamina to continue on. And he couldn't be the better goalie in the playoffs. So when you talk about legacy, his legacy will be that he didn't get it done. His legacy will be in game sevens. He let in some weak goals, but a lot of people that on Twitter like to just point the finger and dunk on the goalie. Um, forget what gets them there. 
And I kind of apply goaltending to, I guess it's something recent. We talk about, um, Oh, Lucas, did you want to step in there? I think we just uh, lost Anthony. Is he coming back? I keep hearing him a little bit. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I could step in if he's here. Yeah, I would just step in, Lucas. We'll get Anthony back on shortly. He's like trying to talk through it. It's actually kind of funny. <laughs> no, not gonna lie. He has you know no what? idea. Okay. You back can, you, can you guys hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We lost you for yeah. a second there. We lost can you, you hear for me? A yeah, um, yeah, you gave us your best R2-D2 so, impression. Sorry about that, man. <laughs> That's okay. Wi-Fi, dude, it happens. That's funny. He actually might be gone, gone. He's struggling over there. Were you talking about Freddie specifically, though, Pat? Or were you talking about, like, the Leafs? Or just in general. general. Like, just, you know, I think Freddie and Zach Hyman, just kind of what you, like, you know, we might be saying goodbye to two really solid soldiers for the Leafs, especially, you know, since we, you know, since this late, no, since this rebuild. Um, kind of want to get your thoughts on what, you know, your overall feelings are with, you know, with the possibility of losing these two great players and soldiers and, and kind of what, what is your, you know, la lasting memory of these two players? Should it be the last time we see them in the blue, Maple Leafs blue and white? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know if you've noticed, I mean, I, I make it pretty obvious that I'm, I'm a big goalie guy and obviously I wasn't even a hockey goalie. So it's kind of ironic, but I just understand, I understand their, their mentality and I understand what they go through and how hard it is, especially in a market like this. So for Freddie, honestly, man, I was always in his corner. I always gave him the benefit of the doubt. I truly always thought that he would turn the corner and, and revert back to himself like he was back in 2018, 2017, whatever it was when he first came to Toronto. And, you know, it, it never really happened. I'm not going to say he regressed, but I'm definitely not going to say he got better. Um, and it was just unfortunate that it ended up being that way. But I'm still always going to be a Freddie guy. I'm always going to be in his corner. Like Anthony said, you know, he, he truly brought Toronto from bottom feeders picking first overall to helping them make the, make the playoffs. And for a guy like myself who falls in that weird age where we were born at a time where the Leafs were really bad, then they were completely average and then really bad again. And just to even see them make the playoffs and, and contest and have a chance against Washington was just, was just cool. It was cool, especially when they were yeah. leading at some point. So for me, just to know that they were up two one on Washington at point, or it was a three, two, I don't remember. It was years two, ago now, but two one. I think yeah, it was two one. Just to know that Freddie was a part of that and he was a major, major, major reason, I'll never forget that. And as for Hyman, it kind of falls into the same category. I just again, by for for so many years, the Leafs were so bad. And sure, you know they had Tucker and Domi and and those guys to look up to per se, but those are completely different players. Hyman brought a completely different type of enforcer role where he was still scoring goals, but he was also the first one in the corner and the first one on the back check and. The first yeah. one, honestly, probably one of one of the first Leafs in this quote unquote era to to actually stand up for himself, and he wasn't getting pushed around. And and you know, before the Simmons came, and before uh, you know, again, Bogosian and Muzzin, some big boys came. Like like Hyman was that guy, and I'll forever thank him for that, and forever thank him for you know being that guy to mix it up and protect. And I put this in air quotations: protect guys like Matthews and Marner because he was. Yeah their third line before he, you know, broke out, I guess, two seasons ago. And those are things you just don't forget. And if you're a major Leaf fan, you know, he's, let's just say Toronto wins a cup in two years. Hyman's not on this roster. He's a stepping stone and he's a guy you're just not going to forget. And, you know, you don't write the history of this era of the Toronto Maple Leafs without Frederick Anderson and Zach Hyman. And that's kind of how I see the two of them. Like, I know I've been uber critical of Freddie. Um, I thought his playoff performances, you know, at least the one against Columbus kind of, 
soured me a bit. This year, you know, as hard as I was on him, when I look back at this season, it was just an unfortunate season for him. You know, he he played injured, and it, it, it's, it, he just never really found his spot. Um, and then it didn't help that Jack Campbell kind of took the net and ran with it and had one hell of a run as a, you know, as, as a starting goalie. Um, you know, so, and then you guys all brought up, you know, the least playoff success or not necessarily success, but, you know, getting into the playoffs after how long of a playoff drought and, and really putting that on, on Freddie, because these kids were still le- essentially learning on the job. Um, so for that, you know, I'm grateful for Freddie. Zach Hyman's an interesting one because he kind of flew into Toronto on this very like minuscule trade, you know, with the least traded Craig McKeague and, it turned into something special, like Zach Hyman fit in. And then, the, you know, the, the storyline of him writing children's books became another storyline. And I know he, you know, he runs his own local charity now in Toronto. And, you know, there was so much of his influence and his activity, even just in the city of Toronto and his love for it, um, because he is a Toronto boy and, and seeing that heart and, and soul and, and emotion he wore on his sleeve game in, game out. You know, that's kind of will be his lasting moment. And I, and I hope he doesn't price himself out of Toronto. And I'm hoping we're just having this conversation prematurely and, and he does return. But if, it, if that if this is, a, you know, his, his, truly a goodbye, you know, he's all you can do is say thank you. You know what I mean? Like he left it all on the ice. You know, there was never a moment where you questioned his effort or his willingness to, to go the extra mile for this team. And, and, and that's kind of will be my lasting memory of those two. Sorry, guys. I'm back now. Welcome back, Anthony. Yeah, hey, I, I apologize. My Wi-Fi is just bang up awful. But, but, uh, fix that, dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, well, uh, anyways, whatever I was saying about Freddie Anderson is is basically his legacy is going to be the, a choke artist in deciding games, and and it's unfortunate because what I, the analogy that I was trying to say before I cut out is like in a very recent memory is you see in the Euro cup finals, you see these young star forwards. Now, Freddie was no young star on the team. So his place on the roster isn't the same, but the unforgiving moments of failure are the same in that Okai Osaka misses a penalty and he's getting all this terrible ridicule, a lot of racial abuse, which is straight up awful. And, and people really need to think about their their place in life when you feel the need to go and attack a 19-year-old kid for something like that. Um, but when they say that, they forget that Kai Osaka assisted on the uh, the first goal of England when they were down one nothing to Denmark in the semifinals. And to me, that type of uh, forgetfulness from the majority of fans where they forget how, who got them to the place that they are. Um, and they only remember the lasting images and moments. Um, it shows the, the, how frankly uneducated some fans can be um, and unforgiving sports is in general, because you can do all the right things for 10 months, multiple games in a row. And then something just doesn't go your way in the, in the biggest moment. And that's what you're remembered for. Um, so that's how I'll think of Freddie Anderson um, in terms of Zach Hyman. I'll think of him a guy that just continued to beat the odds. 
for multiple years. He was like, why is this guy on Matthew's wing? This guy doesn't have any scoring touch. This guy doesn't have the skill to be a top six forward. Um, and at the end of the day, he proved us all wrong, became a 30 goal scorer, I think back to back years, or at least on pace for it. And he, yeah, definitely on pace, on pace. he did what, yeah. Yeah. And he look, he's got to get his Zach Hyman deserves a big contract. If there was no salary cap, I give Zach Hyman more than maybe three guys on this roster. I'd give him more. He deserves it. And look, it's a business. I'm sure that he is just killing himself that he has to leave the Leafs if it deem if it deems to be so because of a freaking because of salary. But Zach's gotta get his because and I hate to bring it up because nobody else took yeah. even eighty percent of what they're worth or seventy five percent of what they're worth. Zach has to go and get ex- as much money as he can to the team that's willing to give it to him. I will say that Zach needs to be careful about where he goes because if he's not playing with really good players, his numbers, his contract could look a lot different in terms of the, the production versus the salary. But Zach Hyman leaving is – I'm going to think of it the same way that when Connor Brown left. Those are the guys that you attach to as a Leaf fan, as a kid growing up in the Toronto area, being a lifelong Leaf fan, because what do, we can all speak to this. What did we all dream of as a kid? We didn't dream about playing for any – if you wanted to be a hockey player, you didn't dream about playing for any other team than the Toronto Maple Leafs. And those guys got to live out their dream. And the next best thing about play, than, uh, than playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs is winning a Stanley Cup for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And – those two guys deserved it more than anyone that I can think of. And it's a real shame that if Zach Hyman leaves, he'll leave uh, not a Stanley cup champion with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it, it does suck, but um, again, it's a business. So yeah, it's yeah. the economics of the game. And yeah. um, you know, to kind of wrap up this podcast, it has been fun for our first one of season five. Anthony, I would like you to explain to our listeners why your voice is so coarse. Um, I know there was something something happened, um, you know, this past Sunday that might have impacted why you sound so coarse. So do you mind letting our listeners know um, kind of what happened on Sunday? Yeah, so I'll start it off in Italian. Siamo campioni dell'Europa. Italy is the cha- are the champions of Europe, and as an honorary Italian, uh, well, my heritage is Italian, but I'm not. I don't consider myself full Italian in any way. I'm Canadian, but I support Italian soccer, and I know Lucas and Pat, you do as well. Is that we're just gonna throw ourselves into the hat of Italians and say we are the champions of Europe, and. Uh, I think that it's just awesome. It was, it was great to follow. It's nice to see your team win. Right. And yeah. I'll say Not this. Like... Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and look, Italians are, are pretty spoiled in in that sense, because I think it's admirable that the, uh, the Italian uh, footballing association, whatever you want to call it was at its lowest point in 2018 or 2017 when they failed to make the world cup. And 
Now they're a champ. They win the Euro Cup. No team's ever done that before. No team's ever won back to back or two penalty shots in a major tournament and at in the Euro Cup before. Uh, I think Roberto Mancini's an awesome manager. Uh, but I do feel for England fans, and I'll tie it back to the Leafs. They haven't won since 1966. I think their fans are sorry to d- disappoint people, but I think like the hooliganism is straight up ridiculous that at those soccer games, like when you're starting to get physical and starting beating the crap out of people and you, you, you hear some stuff and it got pretty scary around the stadium after the game last night. Uh, No one should condone that. I certainly don't condone that, but I do appreciate the passion that those English fans have. Um, And you're listening to a Leafs podcast. So, you can clearly see that we all empathize with your, with your hurt. So um, we're, we enjoyed it. I was celebrating, which is why my voice is absolutely gone. But uh, all I can say is Forza Italia, right, Luke? That's it. I don't, I don't share the same, same sympathy though. See you later. Oh, it's not coming there you home. go. Not coming home. It's coming to Rome, baby. It's coming Rome. What do you think, Pat? What did you think of the game? See, like for me, my, my soccer appreciation is really, I, I only really tune in to like the major tournaments, the Euro Cup, the World Cup. You know, I, I kind of dip my toe, you know, the odd time in, in club play. So for me to watch this run was kind of magical um, because there were so many storylines and, um, you know, the, 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 the losing it on the World Cup in 2018 and, you know, watching this young roster. And for me, because I don't follow club and I really didn't follow a lot of the qualifying rounds either. My first impression of this team was these guys aren't playing Italian soccer. Like my first impression was they're playing offense, you know, like they're, they were attacking. They, they, they were still defensively strong and structured, but you know, they scored a goal and they would just keep coming at you. That wasn't, you know, what I would remember to be Italian soccer. So, you know, that for me was a lasting impression. And and watching these young guys win and, and, and seeing in certain positions, you know, the passing of the torch, you know what I mean? From goaltending to some of the guys coming up in the midfield and our forward units. Um, this is one team that, you know, I, I was talking to one of my, my, my co-workers today and they were saying this is probably one of the most likable Italian squads. You know, and Absolutely, I think that they, yeah. and I think that they even liked playing with each other. Where you know, if you follow Italian soccer in the past, it was very political. Certain players got to play, mm-hmm. um, you know, because of where they were from or or who they knew. Um, this squad played as a unit. You know, it didn't matter who was coming on, who was going off. You know, the machine just kept on going, and and that's something that you know will will have stayed with me from this tournament. And you know, it was great to see the boys in blue win and. You know, hopefully, you know, next year we see another boys in blue win and, and, and that'll be here in Toronto. Yeah, my voice will really take a hit. Yeah, really. Though. Yeah, <laughs> no, most definitely. In the winter, in the winter time, because FIFA decides to throw a World Cup in, in November and December. So 2022 will actually be a good time, though. You'll got all the American major sports going and, and you'll have a World Cup to boot. Uh, to play yeah, in the morning. That'll be, in the morning, so. it'll be difficult to try and figure out what you want to watch. Like, are you watching the soccer when there's yeah. a Leaf game or a Raptors game? You know what no, I mean? I, th- like, I think it'll be, you'll be good though. I think the games will be in the, like, Oh yeah, there's a little bit later, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's in yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Qatar or Qatar? Yeah, Qatar. Qatar. So yeah. Qatar is they got I think uh, I want to say it's like 15 hours. It's pretty. It's. it's well, I thought pretty, it was uh, seven because I asked. I had some oh, was it seven? seven yeah, okay, I think it's I'm, like seven. Okay, definitely not a geography major, so <laughs> I trust you. I, I, I asked around and they were telling me I was being told it was seven. So <laughs> there you go. Um, so. You're right. So there may not be that overlap, but it was that it, as a sporting fan, you know, there's just so much to watch next year. Um, but this has been great for our first podcast. Thank you to everyone who's been, you know, continuing to listen to our podcast. You know, feel free to leave your comments on our, you know, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And, uh, you know, we'll have something else to report hopefully next week with uh, so much happening in hockey, you know, in the upcoming weeks. Thank you so much for everyone for listening. Thank you both to you, Anthony and Lucas, for joining us. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, I know it's difficult, but we, we need to get back to this. Go Leafs, go. Go Leafs, go. Go Leafs, go. Go Leafs, go.